Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Tom Nixon is joining me as always. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jay. How are you? Good. Um, and Tom, I wanted to, I don't know if you had noticed this or not, uh, but I guess using it as an opportunity to give you a little pat on the back and I guess myself by extension, but uh, this will be our 20th, this is our 20th episode of the podcast. So I feel like we've, uh, we've made it over the hump, so to speak. Wow. What do I need to get you? Is it, is 20 tin or is it brass? What is the 20? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not expecting much. So. Okay, good. <laughs> but well, I, I think the pat on the back is enough. Yeah, exactly. I, I do have a, a quick question for you. And, and I, I know people always say I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I do mean to put you on the spot in this case. Um, but in, in thinking back over, over the episodes we've done, what's one expectation that you had about doing this podcast you know, where now that we're 20 episodes in, um, the reality of the situation might be different than what you expected? Um. You are putting me on the spot, but I'll, I'll give you, you a can, pleasant... You can pass if you want. <laughs> no, I'll give you a, a pleasant surprise maybe because it's something you brought up in the past. And when I heard you articulate it, it sounded quote unquote cute the way you put it. Um, but the more I thought about it, it's exactly right. And that's just how much fun we've been having. It, we, we did this to, you know, in some ways to be an intellectual exercise, but we committed at the beginning to trying to keep it light and have some fun. And I think we have, and that's one of the biggest surprises. I think anyone that gets into podcasting will discover is just how much fun it really is. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Uh, me, I think it's probably, uh, I, I know when we got started with this, we had a different kind of a different flow of, of what the show might look like than, than is borne out, uh, where I think we thought we'd be doing more episodes where just you and I are talking, um, and, and fewer with guests. I think partly because we didn't think we could book guests as consistently as we, we've been able to. So thankfully for our audience, it has been more guests than just you and I droning on. But, uh, but that's probably been the, the, the biggest surprise is how enthusiastic um, those in, in the industry have been to participate in our little project. So, um, and, and using that as an opportunity for a segue, which I know you love, Tom, uh, we, <laughs> have a, we have another great guest today. Mike Meller, who's the Director of Marketing and Business Development at Prior Cashman, is joining us today. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So the kind of one of the things that uh, led me, uh, other than the fact that, you know, I frequently read your, your thought leadership and, and respect your thinking, but one piece in particular uh, that you published uh, a couple months back caught my eye. It was, it was in The American Lawyer, and uh, it's titled use your digital toolbox to win business and build a brand and I, I thought that the methodology and the insights you shared in that article could be uh, a great jumping off point for a conversation that I think will be a value to lawyers starting to think about marketing and business development and thought leadership in 2020 so um, we wanted to talk to you a bit about that and, and get allow you to kind of dig a little deeper into what you wrote about in that article um, but as a, as a jumping off point here, um, I wanted to ask about an issue that, that we talk frequently about, which is kind of having a, a niche focus to your practice and your marketing. And in the article, you wrote about the 2019 state of digital and content marketing survey, which indicates that 
C-suite executives and general counsel are uh, increasing their consumption of thought leadership content, but at the same time, limiting or curating the amount of sources of that content, uh, the creators of that content that they're following. Um, and I know this is consistent with findings of the um, Edelman LinkedIn thought leadership study that, that recently came out, which basically um, backed up that statistic in, in finding that uh, buyers of, of services, B2B services, are, are reading and consuming more content, but they're finding high quality content difficult to find to some extent. And so they're also um, drawing upon fewer sources of information. Um, so in light of these findings, Mike, I think one of the points you make is that it's more important than ever for thought leaders or business developers uh, to pick a niche and, and focus their efforts, whether that be business development or thought leadership, on a more narrowly focused audience. And I was hoping you could maybe expand upon or, or just we could have a conversation about that point. Sure. I mean, the first thing to, to really realize is that in this digital age, the sales cycle's completely changed. You know, they're uh, talking about, you know, this Gartner Challenger model, which I alluded to, uh, saying that, you know, people are 57% of the way through the purchase process before they're even reaching out. You know, uh, you can, in many cases, be uh, out of the game before you know you're in the game. And so uh, it's really mission critical to really have that, that, that digital footprint and to, and to build uh, you know, a concept of thought leadership. Um, and so, you know, you think about your own life, you know, they, they talk about these echo chambers, they talk about, you know, whether it's, you know, following things on Facebook or getting shares from people and, you know, your traditional media outlets are, you know, sort of secondary to the, the smart people you surround yourself with who are in essence, you know, really curating content for you. Um, being able to then add a layer of value on that, uh, you know, and, and, you know, layer that and contextualize it uh, into a specific industry, into a specific target audience is uh, really a great way to win the day. So, um, you know, you, you're, you're seeing a lot of that and it's just impossible uh, to try to do that across industries. You know, actually I read a FT article um, about being a master of domain and about M&A attorneys, uh, you know, really being able to contextualize uh, a decision, a deal, you know, within a within an industry framework, and really being able to bring that business acumen, and so that is uh, just impossible to do across uh, a ton of industries. So, you know, here at Prior Cashman, and you know, generally in the in the things I'm writing and you know, trying to preach from the mountaintops, um, it's you know really important to to have an industry focus. I I, I give the idea of a restaurateur who's you know a chef. You know, we have a, a big practice here at Prior in that way. Um, you know, they don't care that. Uh, you know, one of our attorneys does the formation work and somebody else does the restaurant management agreement and someone else uh, does gets the financing. They want to go back to doing what they do best. And so, um, you know, really being able to be that soup to nuts, you know, no pun intended with a restaurant business uh, person is, you know, really somebody who can add that additional value. And so, uh, you know, really trying to get, you know, we're coming up with a new website uh, you know, in the next six months or so, really with an industry focus. You know, I, I think that, you know, kind of how attorneys view their internal frameworks in a law firm and how the clients, you know, view themselves, uh, you know, are, are, are sort of in competing stretches. And so uh, I think to, you know, have a user experience where people are coming in, they're, you know, coming from a, a hotel uh, framework, you know, mindset, um, and being able to understand the, all the things that we do for, for hotels or uh, musicians or hedge funds, you know, whatever the case is, 
as opposed to sort of going to you know various different components. And so that's really what it is: is it's building, you know, uh, picking a niche, going down, really understanding uh, down in the weeds about the business issues that these folks folks face. And so when you're providing legal uh, insights, it's you know contextualized in that way. That's really the value that uh, you know people are looking for in 2020 and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that gets down to the issue of what expertise really is, right? Where it's it's about being able to sort of spot and and match patterns. And and to an extent, I don't think you can develop that expertise unless you're you've had a sufficient number of at bats, you know, so to speak, mm-hmm. where you're immersing yourself and you're seeing the same situations over and over, dealing with the same types of clients over and over so that you can, uh, you can then again, spot those patterns and then give that contextualized advice, as you said, Mike, which um, is, is reflective of what people want. I mean, to cite more sp- statistics, although I can't think of, I think almost every study that, that, that tries to measure buyer preferences indicates that, you know, the number one thing that general counsel want out of their lawyer is a, is a deep understanding of their business. And, and you can't have that obviously, unless you're really deeply immersed uh, within, within an industry. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one follow-up question on that, just in terms of, you know, can, can kind of contextualizing this in, around the idea of thought leadership specifically. So, uh, do your do your attorneys and, and industry groups are they sort of working together in any capacity to to think about thought leadership and content they're producing and and identifying those issues and and I guess capturing them as they arise? I mean, any any thoughts on that and how like attorneys can think about um, identifying what those hot button issues are within an industry that a, a general counsel might care about? Sure, you know I think a lot of this is you know looking backwards to look forwards. Um, you know, a lot of this is, you know, us doing that homework to aggregate, you know, ostensibly discrete, you know, matters and experience across the enterprise and, and sort of bringing them together and harnessing those people together. Uh, you know, having those brainstorming sessions where everyone's, you know, again, kind of looking back and saying, hey, you know what, I did a deal here and I did a deal here and, and putting those people together uh, and, you know, giving yourself a little bit of credit here, you know, it's, it's saying, hey, you know what, you've done this 10 times for 10 different companies in all these different ways. You know, you're working with GCs who, or, you know, buyers, uh, you know, in some cases, CEOs, whatever, who, you know, may have done this a, a few different times. They've got a lot of different things on their plate. You know, what are the things that are coming around the corner? What are some of the trends that you're seeing? Um, and, and being able to package that in a neat way that adds value out of the gate. You're not the 50th person who asked them to lunch, but you're saying, hey, here's five things we're seeing. I'd love to sit down and get your uh, you know, get your insights on that, you know, and, and even baking that back in and having that be an iterative process. Um, I, I think further to your point um, is the development of sort of cross multidisciplinary pods. Um, you know, you look at the the death of brick and mortar these days, um, you know, where folks, you, you know, your traditional stores that are, you know, happening, you're looking at Barney's, you know, you're having a bunch of different issues there. You know, the new mall, the new uh, brick and mortar experience is really an amalgamation of, uh, you know, curating pop-up taco stands with, uh, you know, different uh, experiences, you know, not just that are shopping, but whether that's music or art, things like that. Um, in essence, where you, you essentially have 
the landlord's turning into almost a rent collector slash curator, right? And so they're, uh, you know, that might be seasonal experiences that they're changing. We're doing a lot in that space. And so, you know, bringing together our folks, you know, we have a pretty great art law practice. And so what are the issues there if we're going to be projecting something on a screen and bringing in some people from our food and bev practice? And, you know, we do a lot of leasing on Madison Avenue and bringing in organizations that really authentically align uh, to really, you know, provide a customer experience. You know, that brings a lot of legal issues, whether that's lease agreements, whether that's uh, employment, whether that's ADA issues, whether that's art, um, you know, copyright music. Um, and so, you know, you're really, you know, tackling these things by issue that, that bring together a lot of different folks. And it really underscores that whole point of, you know, not coming in as a 144A lawyer or a, uh, you know, buy side M&A lawyer, but coming in as a uh, technology specialist who can then bring in uh, licensing components and, and other components to really, uh, you know, help help clients to achieve their business objectives. So um, we're doing a lot of that, you know, just a lot of, you know, brainstorming sessions. You know, it's a lot of sort of front end work from our perspective, um, but we, we love doing that. And, you know, watching those, those dots get connected are, you know, kind of the highlights of a legal marketers day, watching those light bulbs go off and, and letting the attorneys really take off and try to, you know, create interesting solutions and more importantly, interesting value that we can then try to deliver in scale. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, I, I loved the emphasis on niche in your article, Mike, and you brought it up earlier just now in this discussion. And what I thought Jay was going to ask me about when he was quizzing me on the spot was <laughs> what was our very first episode topic? Jay, do you remember? Yeah, it was on the importance of having a niche, Tom. It, it was. I mean, we could have launched this podcast months ago with any topic in the universe, and that's the one we focused in on because we agree it's, it's so important, and it really is the foundation for you know, establishing thought leadership and being recognized, recognized as an industry expert. And a few weeks later, our very first guest was Scott Becker, who was a, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but um, you know, living, breathing proof of, of someone who started his whole content marketing strategy years or decades ago around a niche and now is known for one specific thing and everything in his own telling of it, everything became easy once he, once he got there. But I wanted to go back to something else that you said earlier, if you don't mind, Mike, and you mentioned a, st a stat, 50, that typically the buyer is 57% of the way through a purchasing decision by the time they ever reach out to you, is I think the stat that you quoted. And yeah. I think it's true in every industry. I don't know if what you quoted specifically was specific to, to law purchasing, but you know, professional services, products of any, really of any kind, that so many yeah. people, the, the buyers out there, and they're doing their due diligence in every attorney, whether they know it, like it, have actually done anything about it, has a digital footprint and they have a bio that lives on a website. They have a bio on LinkedIn. Do you feel in your experience, and I'm sure maybe you work with your attorneys at your firm to, to, to button this down. Do you think enough attention is being paid, generally speaking, to those assets that live out there for the for the viewing, and I'm talking specifically of like attorney bios on the website or your profile on LinkedIn, et cetera. Do you think that enough attention is being paid? And if not, then what should we be thinking about as attorneys? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you're in you're in my brain. No, it's uh, you know I know we all kind of share that that similar. Uh, issue, you know, we, we see that 85% of our traffic is going to attorney bios. Um, 
So all of the, you know, all the great things we're doing, whether it's news items, you know, these things, we're obviously trying to tag them to BIOS. But, um, you know, that's a, it's a sobering statistic to, to think that, you know, basically people are buying, you know, attorneys. And so, um, you know, it's consistently, you know, I find these different nuggets of, you know, hey, wow, we did this you know, monster deal, really innovative deal. And, you know, it's not on a, it's not on anybody's bio. And so from a buyer's perspective, you know, that doesn't exist, right? They're not going to call and say, hey, is anything missing? Uh, is there something, <laughs> you know, you didn't put on there? You know, you don't, you don't get the opportunity. You know, I think back in the days you had the dog and pony shows, the beauty contests, whatever you want to call them. Now that still may exist, but it's on a wider level. It's already in the semifinals. And so, um, you know, we're, we're frequently trying to get folks to, you know, better communicate that message. Um, I know it's not always top of mind, you know, that also, you know, rings out to, to LinkedIn, you know, some amazing stats on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, even in any case to uh, have a presence on there, be going on, you know, every day and, you know, just to be kind of, you know, in the game and, and understand, you know, what people are posting, what companies are posting, um, you know, the whole process has just completely changed. And I think that those who don't believe it, you know, are starting to see that, you know, they're, you know, they really got to change it. And so I'm having, you know, conversations every week with, you know, folks I didn't think would necessarily be converts who, you know, are kind of seeing the writing on the wall and are now, you know, reaching out and working with their marketing teams to make it happen. In one quick follow-up on that before we shift gears is we've had a number of guests on this program make the, the, um, the statement that in their view anyway, that typically someone is buying, you know, let's use that term buying, they're buying the attorney more than they're buying the firm. And so if you think as an attorney that the, the, the brand around the firm is going to do all the he heavy lifting for you when someone's vetting you, then you're, you're missing an opportunity, aren't you? Because at the end of the day, somebody wants to work with intimately somebody that they know, trust, an, an individual. That's, that's exactly right. So, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing it more and more. It's a, a culture shift and these things, they seem like they happen slowly and then they happen all at once. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I'll just make one, one last follow-up point before shifting gears, just because I, I think it's important to keep in mind as well that when we're talking about bios, um, you know, it, yeah, there are going to be instances where a, a prospective client is going to search you out, an individual attorney out specifically, and they're going to land on your website bio or your LinkedIn profile because that's what will come up if they type your name in the Google search bar. But there's a whole lot, of, uh, a whole lot more people who are searching for an attorney, uh, not necessarily you, uh, but someone who can solve a specific problem that they're facing. So in that sense, you need to keep in mind that really the entirety of the internet is, is where your bio lives. And you need to populate that with um, thought leadership content so that to the extent someone's looking for a solution, not necessarily a specific person, um, you're going to surface in those results. And then you'll have a, uh, a, a breadcrumb trail, so to speak, a digital breadcrumb trail back to your bio. So um, keep in mind that it's not just what's living on those pages that on your firm's website and, your, and, and on LinkedIn, but everything that you're publishing online can serve to make you visible to those seeking uh, someone who has expertise like yours. So Yeah, I mean, it goes, goes, goes back to your niche, you know, the, the whole, you know, picking a niche, right? You know, if you mm -hmm. continue to write on, you know, two or three issues that you really want to own, 
you know, the SEO and, and everything is going to lead you right back. Whereas if you're, you know, writing about everything under the sun, uh, you know, you're the jack of all trades, the master of none. So, yeah. And, and you, and importantly, you, you publish that content around the, the metaphorical water cooler of where the people you're trying to serve go to look for their information and have conversations about the types of issues that you're dealing with. So meaning think about where you're publishing, not just what you're publishing, because if you have a niche, then that means that people in that niche are, are reading the, the same websites, trade journals, and um, listening to the same podcasts, attending the same conferences, et cetera. Uh, so Mike, uh, speaking of LinkedIn, uh, it's one of our favorite topics. I mean, I, 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 I agree. I think LinkedIn, LinkedIn is clearly the place to be if you're um, trying to uh, make digital connections and, and share content online and, and legal services. Um, and, but there's, a, there's something that's, I think, overlooked uh, about LinkedIn for, for many people. I know that you know, most law firms of any size have some sort of CRM tool that they have in place for, um, you know, obviously, contact, man con contact management and um, sales processes. But um, individual lawyers have uh, more of a discrete individualized CRM at their fingertips, too. Uh, and that's through the LinkedIn Navigator tool. And, and you talk about the importance of that in your article um, that we've been referencing. Can you talk a, a bit about some of the ways that lawyers can and should be taking advantage of Navigator? Sure. I mean, <clears throat> and just to take a step back, I'd even love to just talk a little bit about uh, just the regular benefits that LinkedIn extols. I mean, obviously, you know, I get folks calling us to say, you know, kind of the quintessential who knows who question, which, you know, we certainly can can lead them through with our, our regular CRM system. You know, for example, you know, who do we know at Sony? Who do we know here? Uh, you know, within particular divisions, et cetera. Um, but the, the whole concept of LinkedIn really being kind of the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, as it were, uh, with your first degree connections and, you know, being able to type in a company and say, hey, you know what, I may not know anybody there, but wow, my really good friend. And, you know, maybe it's someone who you didn't think about. Maybe it's your uncle who you've never talked business with or, uh, you know, whatever, someone of your, your kid's parents or kid's friend's parents or something like that. So there's a lot of great ways to be able to say, hey, you know what, help me find the people in Portland, Oregon, who are in the media and entertainment space uh, who, you know, maybe are one degree away from me. And that's available on regular LinkedIn. And I don't think that enough attorneys uh, or folks generally and the general public are using that uh, as a warm reach out, especially if you have things of value to offer to those particular people. Um, but bringing that a step into Sales Navigator, uh, yeah, it's, it's really a, a turbocharged LinkedIn, um, which really gives you the ability to really dive down um, into specific industries. For example, um, you, know, you, can, you can create different lists of folks, you know, give me people who are in the SVOD space, uh, give me people who are, you know, uh, key decision makers in the hotel space. You can then add those people to particular lists. So, you know, if you have a target list of, you know, 25 folks you're going after, you know, certain hotels with or you know, certain brands with particular market caps, you know, being able to really narrow those types of things down, uh, you know, add them in um, and build that. You're also able to build accounts, which are particular companies. And so, you know, if we, you take this a step further around this content curation, you know, um, you have the ability to essentially build a list of, you know, 20 GCs of, of hotels. And, you know, what are they saying? What are they sharing? You know, what's top of mind for them? You know, be able to use that to help inform content. You know, if they're 
saying, you know, they're having consistent IP issues, consistent issues with owners, uh, consistent issues with operators or, you know, different hotel management agreements, things like that, you know, hey, why not take exactly what clients are saying? It's essentially a client feedback program. Even if you did nothing uh, in the way of reach out to, you know, really understand your industry more effectively. So, you know, I'm trying to help build that and give me 20 or 30 minutes, uh, you know, a couple times a week to, to go down in there besides reading your industry rags and, and pubs and, you know, to really understand not just the companies, what they're doing, how they're expanding, um, you know, obviously reading the analyst reports and all that, but um, the folks who are really active are giving you a roadmap into what matters to them. And uh, people are silly if they're not taking advantage of that. Absolutely. Hey, I wanted to um, maybe pick the other side of your brain and talk about how... Hopefully not, not the math side. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think we've all agreed to the ground, uh, ground, ground rules around math here. So I'll stick to it if you will. But no, so yeah. the other hat being the business development. So we, Jay and I talk frequently about how the marketing arm and the, the business development arm, they need to be kind of part of the same body and too often they're they're separate and distinct functions, but when done well, the thought leadership and the content marketing will lead to business development opportunities um, that are more direct in nature. So I'll mm -hmm. propose a scenario. So let, let's assume that uh, a lawyer has read your articles and your thought leadership and followed your advice. They've done everything right. He or she has picked a niche, which we've all espoused, optimized her bio, shared thought leadership content online, actually gone and, and done some personal outreach to prospects uh, within a niche. And he or she is finally given the opportunity to meet face to face. Uh, maybe even the prospect has asked for such a meeting. And the attorney in this case, in my scenario, will show up with a fistful of marketing materials in hand, brochures, sales slicks, a PowerPoint presentation, all of those wonderful tools to quote unquote, seal the deal. And something goes wrong. What goes wrong there and why, and what should maybe an alternate approach be? Sure. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, I've likened it to the going to a doctor where, you know, you think you know what the case is, um, but you're not going to write a prescription before someone walks in the door. And so I, I think it's important, um, you know, that you, you really understand, you know, some key considerations of, you know, who really are the decision makers? You may think, you know, what is the real process like? What is the time frame for that process? What does success look like to you? Understanding a lot of these different things and understanding it in into the door. You know, you go and meet the GC of Walmart. I mean, yeah, okay, we're a full service firm. I could provide you with a 79 page document that had everybody, wow, look at us, we're so amazing. But, you know, you haven't thought about what their next 30, 60, 90 days are like, what their expansion plans are, you know, things you may not be able to find and, and generally available documents. And so I'm frequently trying to uh have our attorneys be a little more cognizant as to as to the funnel you know you really have you know these kind of step one breadcrumbs and step two and now you kind of got people into the ecosystem and you know you're, you're kind of in the dating phase and you don't want to just just jump out and so uh you know frequently you know you hear ditch the pitch uh you know all, all around the place and i just think it's really important to you know to take the small steps, you know, don't get it in front of your skis, 
And you know, when you when you really are asking the right questions and fully understand the scope of what's being asked, or you know, what really that that nugget of a problem is, you know, you you can tend to answer that question in person. You can tend to answer it uh, in an informal email with some various experiences or getting. Uh, other attorneys on the phone to to help you know really navigate that particular issue and you know get in the door with something small. Don't try to you know boil the ocean. And I think so many times people kind of see that finish line and say, hey, you know what, we're going to sign this engagement letter. Let's go and we're, we'll talk about our M&A work and we're really good over here. And and you know really delivering what the clients are asking. And I think that when you can be responsive in that way through asking you know intelligent probing questions. Uh, I think those are the people that, you know, uh, buyers want to work with. And so, um, you know, really getting away from the, uh, from the 40 page decks, uh, that inevitably are going right in the trash. So that's, that's, uh, one man's advice anyway. Yeah. And to use your analogy, if, if you encourage an attorney to simply stay in diagnostic mode, right? So they go in asking questions as opposed to offering solutions and a former guest of ours is a Sandler sales trainer who would say, you're, all you're doing is you're painting an unwanted seagull into somebody else's beautiful painting, and that, <laughs> it, right? And that puts, that, it's off-putting. And they think, well, this is not what I thought this was going to be. But if you, I would suggest, you know, it's a simple frame of mind. Just say, go into this first meeting with a pen and a paper, and you're taking a diagnosis, you're still asking questions as opposed to offering solutions. And I think that might just frame the meeting would you agree that would just kind of frame the meeting in a, in a, in a more comfortable setting for both the prospect and, and the attorney? Absolutely. I think the concept of pitch is, is one that's, you know, slowly leaving us. You know, if you're doing this right, I think that uh, you and the buyer are arriving at a solution together, whether that's with you or not with you. But either way, you're really maintaining credibility. You're maintaining that authenticity. And it doesn't feel like a us pitching to them and kind of an us versus them, but, you know, and you get on the same side of the table as someone and, you know, the, I come from a big four background and, you know, this was kind of, you know, beaten into you that, you know, you get on the same side of the table and you develop a roadmap together for success uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, some, some solutions that are sort of baked with limited information on both sides. And so, uh, you know, when it works out or it works out well and, you know, you can, you can work together, that's great. And, if not, you know, you've really helped them through the buying process and through the decision process. And, you know, you've certainly gained points for the next time. Yeah, that's it. I think that's a great point to wrap up on, Mike. And, and I, you know, I speak on behalf of Tom and I and, and say thank you for, for your insights today. I think this was a really valuable episode uh, for our listeners who might be thinking about how to frame their marketing and, and business development efforts in 2020. Uh, before we wrap up, Mike, uh, we, we like to offer our guests an opportunity to the extent that anyone they'd like, you know, to give anyone an opportunity to follow or connect with them. Um, you know, maybe what's the best place to, uh, follow what you're doing online or, you know, in case you have any upcoming talks you're giving, um, anything you want to, would like to share with our audience? Sure. Um, you can always follow me on LinkedIn, Mike Meller. Um, and, uh, you know, besides, uh, you know, Thank you so much for, for having me on the on the podcast. I'll be actually speaking at the Marketing Partner Forum uh, in January in Miami, as well as at the LMA National in March in Denver. So uh, hopefully we'll see you around and uh, don't hesitate to connect with me. 
And we will, by the way, we'll, we'll uh, post that article that we referenced a few times in the show notes at the thoughtleadershipproject.com. So people can kind of read along as they're listening or, or use that as a takeaway. So we'll post that as well. Great. Thanks. Fantastic. And, and this will be our last episode of the year. Uh, we're going to take a couple weeks off to, to recharge over the holidays. So we wish everyone a happy holidays and we'll see you in 2020. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.